0: Welcome back to another week of instigating with Clarkie and Drury. I'm Drury. That's Clarkie. We're brought to you as always by our friends at Coolback Canada. The list will squash courts and of course, list will vision care and see the game. We are very pleased to be joined by friend of the show and one of the hosts of the best morning sports talk show on planet earth. That's my opinion. And it should be yours too. Aaron Krolnick joins us. AK, how are you brother?
1: Fellas, I'm doing fantastic, and my tires were already inflated, but if they get pumped anymore, Ryan, I mean, they might burst. I love it, though. I mean, I appreciate it, and uh, great to be back on with you guys as always.
0: We appreciate it, my friend. Don't worry. Your head will fit through the door later. You'll be fine. Uh, let's talk a little bit. We'll jump jump right into it. The number one story in the Toronto sports scene right now, playoffs, first round, Leafs lightning. Let's start with game one probably the best playoff game I've ever seen this group of Maple Leafs play so far. They were dominant, and Tampa, I mean, give the Leafs all the credit in the world. They completely blew them off the ice. Tampa looked completely uninvolved, even starting with that five-minute major. What did you make of night one of the playoffs for this Maple Leafs group with all the weight of the
1: world on their shoulders? Well, it actually reminded me of, the early 2000s leafs who were up against the ottawa senators all those seasons all those playoff runs where they the underdog based on you know regular seasons of uh, of yesteryear and toronto getting dominated by the senators ottawa having more points not necessarily applicable to this instance with the leafs but i think a lot of people viewed toronto as the dog to the tampa bay lighting and rightfully so considering what tampa's done in the past but Man, just a top to bottom, exceptional performance from Toronto in game one. It started out with Jack Campbell, we thought was great. The Leafs' best players were the best players in the game, and Matthews and Marner. And it was a, a really tremendous performance by Toronto and one that set the stage for game two, where there's a lot of optimism heading into it, and rightfully so. And of course, we know things didn't necessarily go according to plan.
2: Uh, You mentioned the best players were the best players, and uh, one in particular, I'm sporting the jersey today, and as Ryan knows, I had this guy traded about 10 times during the year. Mitch Marner showed up. Mitch Marner scored a goal. What kind of weight lifted off his shoulder in that game was tremendous, but he's got to keep it going because if this team is going to win, he's got to be their second best player.
1: Clark, yeah, I can't even fathom the pressure, both internal and external, that Mitch Mitch Marner deals with. The guy makes $10.9 million. He's a Toronto kid. He understands how important the Leafs are to this city, to the fan base, to the media. And, I mean, the way he has played in these playoffs to this point, he is earning every single penny, and he's also earning the removal of the reputation as a guy who struggles in the playoffs. Eighteen games. Prior to game one, where he went without a goal in the Stanley Cup postseason. And he's been great. He's been as good as you could possibly hope for. And if that continues, and I see no reason why it won't, because in my view, Mitch Marner is a very different player today than he was last year, two years ago, three years ago. He has a goal scorers mentality that completely, fundamentally changes the way. Opposing defenses need to adjust for him, and the way he handles himself and the way he has confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're Mitch Martin right now, you need to feel it, be feeling on top of the world. He and certainly. It's a
2: Oh, very good. And his grandma was there last night to watch. And yeah, his grandma
1: game. was there. he <laughs>
2: um, One guy who the fans are sort of on now after game two, um, I think can take the heat a little bit more than Mitch could and hopefully will break out of it. But John Tavares, the captain, Ryan and I have talked about John and and uh, is he worth the money they're paying him. But what what do you think is um, a suitable Um, expectation for John Tavares in this series and in the playoffs?
1: Okay, so John Tavares is not worth $11 million a year. He would tell you that, you know, in a moment of honesty. Mm -hmm. Sheldon Keefe would tell you that. Kyle Dubas would tell you that, but that doesn't really change anything because he signed that contract in a position of strength, a position of leverage, where there are other teams offering him $13 million Mm -hmm. a year, $13.5 million a year. He chose to come to the Toronto Maple Leafs for $11 million a year. So I don't think there's really any point in Relitigating litigating or, or trying to analyze whether or not he makes the... Yep, yep. Either his salary is commensurate with his production. Yep. This is not. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a number one centerman in the National Hockey like, re- League right now, but he is a really quality number two. He's been a point-of-game player in the regular season. That being said, to this point, uh, through two games in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, he has not been very good. He picked up an assist on that power play goal that Austin Matthews scored to make it 3-1 in Game 1, but I would argue he's been... Pretty average five on five, and I think I he needs to be better. I think he can be better, yep. and I think it's very likely heading in uh, to the later games in this postseason run that you'll see Tavares and Nylander reunited, and I think that could really uh, provide positive deep uh, dividends for both both of those guys because I think they have worked well together. and I think they will again.
0: Yeah, he's one of those guys where. You know, the, the criticism of him and the holes, if you will, that are in his game are not new. And, you know, your compatriots over at TSN 1050 on Overdrive, we're talking a bit about it today as we record this on Thursday. And, um, you know, O'Dog, who scored quite a few goals in the NHL, was basically saying, look, like the, the blueprint for this guy hasn't changed. He's made a lot of hay in and around the net. And that's where he made hay in junior And in minor midget before that, when he was a highly touted scorer, he scores a lot of goals from within 15 feet. He's not a good skater. He never has been. He's improved his skating a lot with the likes of Barb Underhill, helping him out, stay competitive in the NHL. But like, guess what, everybody? It's not getting better. Like this guy's not getting faster it's only going to deteriorate more and more. And one thing that I noticed that he has not done yet is really get into that interior area. And it's something really all the Leafs other than Michael Bunting at times didn't do at all in game two. And, Beyond that and talking about Tavares and everybody who's a star there that's not contributing, Nylander's had a tough start too, some some sushi issues. Uh, I I want to get your opinion just on, on the discipline issues, and Wayne Simmons took a lot uh, on his shoulders in the post-game interviews, Sheldon Keefe addressed it as well. There were just a lot of penalties in that game that the Leafs didn't take in game one that they did in game two that just simply can't happen. They got themselves in a lot of trouble and they brought that Tampa power play to life and that was a problem, eh?
1: Well, that is the biggest problem that Toronto can face in this series. I think a five-on-five play, the Leafs are just as good, if not better, than Tampa Bay. I think you could probably make the argument that power play is a a similar idea, but Mm -hmm. I mean Tampa's power play, if you look at it in the month of April, was operating at over 40%. It was piping hot down the stretch. And if you give Kucherov and Hedman and Point and Stamkos seven opportunities, you aren't winning any hockey games. That is a straight up fact. Maybe one in a million, but it's going to be very, very rare. So I'm certain the Leafs have learned from this game two mistake, the lack of discipline, Wayne Simmons addressing it, and rightfully so. I thought Wayne Simmons took two really stupid penalties and they also coincide with the Kyle Clifford five-minute major in game one that could have very well been a huge turning point in the series if I don't know what the hell was going on with Tampa. Tampa in game one and their power play and basically the entire team and the way the Leafs were able to manhandle their power play with their penalty kill but discipline has been a big story it didn't burn them in game one like it could have it did burn them in game two so We'll see what type of adjustments they make for Game 3. But I also want to say there's a reason that the Leafs are are causing all these penalties for themselves, and it's because they're trying to be aggressive. I think the home crowd has a lot to do with it. It's been an amazing crowd so far. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of passion in the building, a lot of energy. And sometimes when you have that unbridled energy, it can lead to unintended consequences. And I think in Game 2, unintended or not, you need to be more disciplined than the Leafs were.
2: So you mentioned see if we'll have changes next game. So Clifford is uh, eligible to come back into it. Uh, Spets is sitting on the sidelines. I'd like to see Spets and, and and Clifford in and maybe Blackwell and and Simmons out. What do you think will happen next game?
1: It's a real fascinating situation mm-hmm. for Sheldon Key because he talked after game one, the importance of Clifford and the physicality that he yeah. provides the Toronto Maple Leafs and the same goes for Wayne Simmons. I, I do kind of have this inkling that we could see Jason Spezza. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, just think back to last year in the postseason for the Maple Leafs. I would argue that William Nylander was probably their best forward. Maybe Alex Kerfoot was second. And Jason Spezza might have been their third best forward, which is crazy to think. I wonder how they lost to Montreal. You know, like, ooh, that's probably a pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> to look back on that. No, but, they
2: cross-checked their way to the line. Uh, yeah, get, here we let's go. Be they bullied.
1: Like, yeah, whatever, whatever it was. But, I mean, the top guys didn't perform for the Leafs last year. That's pretty obvious. But Jason Spencer was one of their top guys. That being said, it's a it's an interesting scenario for Keith because Tampa's fourth line provides so much grit and tenacity, experience, Pat Maroon, Corey Perry, uh, pierre Edward. Edward Belmar, I mean, these are guys that can really stir it up and mix it up. So if you want to take out Simmons or you want to take out a Clifford, keep Kasha on the fourth line and you add Spets in there, all of a sudden you have more of a skill-oriented fourth line as opposed to maybe the physicality that Sheldon Keith is looking from that position. My guess would be you bring Clifford back and maybe Andre Kasha takes a seat. That's something that Carlo mentioned this morning in that Kasha – Great player, no doubt, not a fourth-line player. He's a guy who needs to play no. up in your lineup in more offensive roles. And to have him in the fourth line, it's just not an effective use of his assets and abilities. I'm not sure it makes sense.
2: You know, it's funny. We're sitting here probably, what, 12 minutes into this, and we're talking about the deficiencies in the game and Tavares and, and the penalties. This defense, I think, is the best defense the Leafs have had in a long time. Rate right one through six with some depth guys as well. With Holland uh, and Sandine not playing, I think they played terrific. Sure, every defenseman is going to have some mistakes here and there. It happens all the time in every hockey game, but this group is deep.
1: I couldn't agree more. And you think you mentioned the depth? I mean, they're yeah. They're, they're seven and eight are Rasmus Sandin, who's had a great year when he's been mm-hmm. healthy. And Justin Hall, a guy who, I mean, has a lot of experience. And he's an older guy, a more physical guy. So, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't expect any changes uh, as far as the Leafs defense floor no. goes in, in game three. I think they've been more than adequate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those things where they just took too many penalties in game two, and, and that mm-hmm. was the death knell there. But I, I have been so impressed with, the way they built this D, and I Mark Giordano, has been a gift from God for the Toronto Maple Leafs yeah. uh, so far since being acquired uh, after or before the trade deadline. And he's a guy. I mean, this year for sure. I mean, a huge part of this team wouldn't surprise me at all. He's a big part of this team next year as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And Campbell's been good too. I mean, because uh, outside of the first goal that Hedman scored, which I, you know, I, he addressed, basically said he want that back. I didn't think any of the other four were horrific goals or or his fault at all. I I thought he was good. Speaking of good goaltending, let's touch on a couple of the other series real quick. Louis Domingue, who is in that tonight, Mr. Spicy Pork and Broccoli himself. Mm. <laughs> it's, I love a spicy pork and broccoli. I beat it. But my goodness, to eat that and then have the trainer come in and tell you, you got to go in in triple overtime and you stop every shot you see and Pittsburgh gets the win. I mean, my God, what an unbelievable series of events in that game.
1: Oh, man, it's amazing. I played some golf today and I had a couple of hot dogs at the turn. 39 back. So in many respects, I'm like Louis Deming out there at, uh, at Country Club East. But yeah, the, the Louis Deming story uh, is truly remarkable. And the way he was able to persevere in spite of, I guess, suboptimal circumstances. Let's call them that. Coming in in overtime, a couple, an injury to Casey DeSmith and Louis Deming comes in and the spicy pork rumbling in his belly <laughs> at Broccoli. I mean, he needed that to balance it out. But it's amazing to think that this guy is a free agent at, I guess, the end of the season. And perhaps, and we'll see how the rest of this run goes for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but maybe he's earned a contract for himself for next year. And it just goes to show, you know, like the crazy stuff happens in the Stanley Cup playoffs every single year. Stars Mm -hmm. are born and, and great stories are unearthed when you never imagined they possibly would be there. And I think Louis Domingue is exhibit A of just that.
0: Aaron, has anything in the first round surprised you so far? Has a team maybe not looked as good as you thought or looked better than you thought maybe?
1: Well, I mean, the Florida Panthers in game one, losing 4-2 to Washington. We'll see how it plays out in game two. I mean, that was a major surprise for me considering the way that Florida played so well all regular season long, just cruising to a residence trophy scoring four goals, a game basically the entire season. I would expect a major bounce back there. But you know what I would say was the biggest takeaway from the first couple of nights, where it seemed that everything went one way on night one Mm -hmm. and the exact opposite way in night two. Look at Minnesota and St. Louis and Edmonton and L.A., Toronto and Tampa, things happening one way, and then you could bet on the regression to the mean or the exact opposite happening just a couple of nights later. I think that's been very fascinating. And I think what that goes to show is, and I don't know if this is a popular or unpopular opinion, momentum, that whole concept, does not exist. It's a completely separate entity. Each game lives in its own mm-hmm. bubble, And I don't think things carry over from one game to another. And I know Bob McKenzie, or was it Bob that's McKenzie right. you said yep. that? Yep. Or Bob McKenzie always said that. And well, what's the line in baseball where... You're only as good as the next day's starting pitcher because you know if you're yeah you might have momentum from one day to the next, but if your starting pitcher pulls a Jose Barrios and gets blown out by the Cleveland in, the Cleveland Guardians, I should say, <laughs> and you have major issues. So. Uh, that that's what I think has been the most fascinating thing for me to watch so far.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great transition. Let's touch on those blue Jays that got off to a really great start. Now they're tied with the rays as we record this for second in the AL East and they've hit a little bit of a skid here. If you want to call it that as we record this, they're not having a good night in Cleveland against those guardians. Barrios, not lasting very long, um, Overall, what's been your impression of the Jays so far this year? They've got the most wins by one run uh, in the entire majors. It's nine now. Jordan Romano is more than doing his job. League leading 12 saves. I mean, he has been lights out. For the most part, their pitching's been pretty good. Kevin Gosman is on track to walk away with the Cy Young. It's early, but, like, if he keeps pitching like this in Split City, I mean, it, it's unbelievable what
1: he's doing. What's your impression of the Jays so far? Well, if Kevin Gosman keeps pitching like this, he'll be better than Cy Young. Forget winning the award. <laughs> I mean, this guy's been absolutely incredible so far, a stellar free agent acquisition from the Jays. I mean, let's not forget about what Alec Manoa has done as well. He has been so, so good for the Toronto Blue Jays since coming coming up to the big club. But, I mean, the thing about the Jays is, like, we expect these gaudy offensive numbers from their big boys in the lineup. And Boba's chance kind of had his struggles. Vladdy has kind of been up and down at points. And George Springer's had a really solid year. Of course, the injuries to Te Oscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen. But over the course of the entire sport, I mean, in Major League Baseball, the, on, the OPS, on-base-plus slugging percentage, is as low as it's been since 1968. And I don't know exactly why this is happening, if it's an aberration, a coincidence, or it's something that is going to become more of a trend in Major League Baseball. But clearly pitchers are having a lot more success against I mean, hitters, at least to this point in time, and I think that's also applicable to the Toronto Blue Jays. That being said, I mean, if you have that three-headed monster of Gaussman, Rios, who we know is a really quality arm, and Alec Manoa, and then you get perhaps Hunjin Ryu operating at let's just—I think you'd sign off on a four ERA and 15 to 20 starts from here on out for Hungen Ryu. And you say Kikuchi has kind of been, you know, up and down as well as the fifth starter. I think there's so much reason to look at this team with the promise and and everything that could potentially be for this club because they're a stacked. Ball club, you mentioned Jordan Romano, my Markham, Ontario compatriot. So I've been a big fan of seeing what he's done so far, and it'll be great to see him at the All Star game because he certainly deserves it.
2: Yeah, you, absolutely. You, you look up and down the roster. Like I'm just looking at tonight. Like Tapia's batting first, batting 217. Now Bo Bruchette's three for three tonight. He's got his average up to 259. It's six to four now, by the way, Ryan. They're coming Ooh. back. Yes. Um, you know Guriella at 290. Uh, Sorry, at uh, 265 Guerrero at 290. You're right. The hitting is not where we think as fans it should be. And uh, the pitching is really holding them in. And uh, like Ryu, I just don't understand this guy. Like this guy, when he came, was supposed to be the guy. I haven't seen much at all with this guy ever. I don't know.
1: Oh, I mean, when when the Jays signed him, he was coming off being the second yeah, yeah. in the National League uh, yeah. for the Cy Young Award. I mean, the guy had an incredible year with the LA yeah. Dodgers, and yeah. I mean, he's had some some great starts for the Jays. He's had some decent performances, and he's also had some lackluster ones. I think back to that game in the playoffs and that three-game truncated playoff run when they mm. played the Tampa Bay Rays in that best two out of three, and Uh, Ryu just got shelled, and Mm -hmm. he's a guy where he's at this point in his career. He's 35 years old. He's had so much wear and tear. Um, You know, he's not what he once was. But that being said, I mean, if Hunjin Ryu is your fourth starter, he's got a lot of guile. He's got a lot of experience. Maybe the Jays can extract that final bit out of that left arm. And if they can, I think he could be a valuable piece for them. Would I want to see him in a postseason game? Absolutely not. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. As, well, as I'd as like junior, to see him in a postseason game, but
1: well, yeah. maybe very short three innings or something. Yeah, sure. Give him, like, yeah, maybe some mop up duty. Yeah. yeah. And as, your,
0: buy, win. as your friend Jeff O'Neill would call him, Hyunjin Ryu arc. That's exactly it. <laughs> to be <laughs> fair, Clark, his first year with the Jays, he yeah, did I know, his third just, in third in ALC. All I'm but, saying
2: is when I watch him now, it's like this guy can't pitch anymore. Like, he's he just can't like, find them in there, and it's like, he can't break. find the zone. His fastballs never. Yeah, Ray's not never exactly had off to a good start either. He's yeah,
0: not bro. off to that great of a start, but it's it's and better two thousand fans
2: are. in Oakland the other night, uh, Ryan. Two thousand fans—that's pretty good. That's like uh, I an don't want to uh... Coyotes game.
0: I don't need to talk about the Oakland A's because I'm going to waste Aaron's time. I want to touch on uh, what was a great moment the other night uh, that we saw at Rogers center. AKM, everybody's seen it now with the, the blue Jays fan and the, and the young Yankees fan with the, uh, with the judge shirt on producer, Adam, I don't know if you've, you've got the video there. It it was so cool. I don't know how you missed this. If, if you didn't see it, judge just hit a moonshot and a blue Jays fan caught. He gave it right to this little kid with, with the judge shirt on. And then the next day, you know, judge brought them both down, got to meet them. The Jays gave him, you know, some signed jerseys. The kid got to meet his favorite player. I mean, that's what sports is all about. Eh? Oh,
1: it, it was such a class moment by the Toronto blue Jays for orchestrating the whole thing. And you had the kid, you had the other guy who gave the ball to the kid. And you set it up with Aaron judge. It, it really was such a heartwarming moment. And you're right. And that's, like, I even think back to being a kid myself. I was such a huge Leafs fan in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Matt Sundin and Darcy Tucker, Steve Thomas. And the idea of me meeting any of those guys when I was nine years old like that kid was, I mean, I'd probably be bawling my eyes out as well and grabbing on to Aaron Judge's massive six-foot-seven frame as close as I could. How about you guys? So Going back to, like, your childhood, Is there one athlete that you think back and like, you would have been starstruck. You would have been crying. If you had the opportunity to meet Marky.
2: You you know, the first athlete I ever met, I played in a Northern, it was Northern Etobicoke church hockey league. I was like, Oh no, I must've been about eight or nine years old. And Mike Pellick from the Toronto Maple Leafs came and I'll never forget it. And I met Mike afterwards when I was working for the Leafs, but uh, not that I was like, wanting to meet Mike Pellick. He was just the guy who showed up, right? I don't know. Um, Lanny McDonald was my guy. I carried around a Lanny McDonald shirt when I worked with his the competition there, um, for all those years trying to see if I would meet up with him every school picture from about grade six to grade ten, I had my Lanny McDonald shirt on. Finally, Madam he autographed my shirt is hanging in my basement now. So Lanny, I'm was sure, I'm sure the ladies
1: at high school loved that clarky. Yeah,
2: oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. they were like, they were impressed. Oh, McDonald again. wow, exactly, nice. <laughs> exactly. There's some good <laughs> shots though, man. There's some real good shots. How you,
1: right? I guess I'm just hijacking. I guess I do. Yeah, no, you know, no that's I, all good. I, I'm just, I, I think it's an interesting conversation. I mean, it's five,
2: by the way. Kirk with the home oh, run.
1: Yeah,
0: Kirk, j- Kirk just hit a moonshot. That was beautiful 400 feet. Um, yeah, no, I, I like the reverse interview here. I'm up at 4 a.m. tomorrow if you want me to jump on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it.
1: We just flip rolls.
0: I uh, No, I, I've been lucky enough. I've met my two favorite hockey players ever. I, I met Ovi, and uh, I met Nick Backstrom. And uh, at a couple different events and games, uh, I got pucks from both of them signed. And, yeah, I'm not afraid to admit I got a little misty-eyed. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've i told Clarky this many times, if it wasn't for Ovi and Nick, I probably still wouldn't be a hockey fan, to be honest. Like, those were dark days as a Capitals fan, and those guys probably saved my interest in the sport at a time when I was a little kid, you know, you've got different interests. I was in a band at the time. Like, you know, those guys kept me involved in the game and, and that, You know, that's special and you remember that stuff forever.
1: Yeah, there's always so much you could think back to Dennis Marouk and Peter Bondra, right? I mean, Steve Kona-Walchuk. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: That's right. Godzilla. Come on, man. You know, we we had a couple of gay players. Secretary of Defense back in the day. Let's go. Uh, AK, we really appreciate your time. We know you got a jet. Uh, We really appreciate this. You can listen to First Up Monday through Friday on TSN 1050 in the morning from 6 to 10. I've been getting up early this week, working mornings. It's great to have you guys. Got a to radio speakers. station,
2: and he's listening to you guys. There you go. That is true commitment, <laughs> dedication. It? We it, appreciate it. Thank you.
0: It <laughs> is commitment. You and Coco are the best. Uh, it's the best sports talk radio show to get you started at the start of the day. Follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron underscore Karolnik, AK. We appreciate this as always, brother. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you
1: for having me, boys.
0: Always great to be with you. All right, we'll take a quick break when we come back. We're going to chat with Mitchell Hawks GM and President Josh Keel on a really successful season for the Hawks that unfortunately came to an end in the playoffs against the Stainer Siskins. We'll talk with Josh next here on Instigating. Welcome back to Instigating with Clarky and Drury, brought to you as always by Coolback Canada, the Listable Squash Courts, and of course, our friends at Listable Vision Care and See the Game. Clarkie, uh, great chat with our friend Aaron Korolnik from TSN 1050's First Up. Uh, listen every morning, Monday to Friday, 6 to 10, with him and Carlo Coco Koliakovo. I know they were addressing this, uh, and, and a number of sports talk shows were, and for good reason. I mean, uh, we should have had our buddy Jim Cressman on for this one. I mean, the umpire, <laughs> this is the most, this is the ultimate, Welcome to the umpire show of all time that I've maybe ever seen. Madison Bumgarner, producer Adam, you can roll the video now for our viewers that have not seen this. Madison Bumgarner, let me set the stage for you here. Madison Bumgarner is pitching in the first inning against the Miami Marlins. He gave up a home run. He was upset with some of the strikes and balls that were called and was complaining back and forth with the umpire like many pitchers do. Gets out of the inning down one nothing. Comes over and has to do the the substance check. Everybody is they're they're checking the hands of the pitchers and everything. This is the first base umpire. I can't remember what his name is. I think it's Dan Bellino. It's Bellino. It doesn't matter. This guy's irrelevant, as all officials are in sports. And they should. No one. No one should ever know the names of officials. But this this guy causes stuff like this. He's checking Bumgarner's fingers and he's just staring into his soul the entire time, just staring at him. He's not even looking at well, his hand. And,
2: and if I'm he's, not mistaken, Bumgarner uh, was a little upset at some of the calls of the first inning as well. He, yeah,
0: he was. Yeah. And this isn't the home plate umpire. This is the first. No. This is the umpire. first. And, 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 yeah. And he's checking, his, just looking at him, trying to goad him. The umpire knew what he was doing. He's trying to goad him into getting upset. And Madison Baumgarner, there's a great YouTube channel called Baseball Doesn't Exist. They do. He does these little docu series videos on ball players. He just did one, funnily enough, about Madison Baumgarner, who is notoriously a fiery guy. Uh, he's also yeah, one of the no. greatest, if not the greatest, postseason pitcher of all time. And he's just staring at him, holding his hand, not letting go. Yeah. And Bumgarner finally is like. He addressed it after the game. He said to him, why don't you take your F in time?
2: And he got thrown out of the game in the first inning for yeah, this. It's just, it's just another egomaniac umpire wanting to make. Just, oh, like, just trying to goad him. in, as you said, now the video, I have a little problem with showing how we showed it because it was in like super, super, super slow motion. It wasn't that long. Um, of a of a, an exchange. However, it was much longer than normal. No, It was like about 12, it. 15 seconds. That was slowed down. If you watch, they do have, if you Google it, there yes. is another one. It's not that long. It's not 12 to 15 seconds.
0: It's not. It's like seven or eight, though, and he's just Maybe. holding
2: and prodding. Right. It hand. was very creepy. St- yeah, it was well, very you know, creepy. This
0: guy's just staring through the windows of his yeah. eyes. And then Baumgartner, who is like, no nonsense
2: is yeah, like and usually uh, when, when you watch it happen it happens all the time quick quick okay goodbye it's it's, 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 one, it's one to two seconds tops
0: it's tops. hilarious you said that because in pardon me so this this was the bottom of the first so the miami pitcher that night i believe was Eliezer hernandez when mm-hmm. he left the mound yeah, the, touch, the, touch. the umpire just like the third base umpire at yeah. there dugout, like just wiped his hand and was like yep you're good yeah, you're this good. guy, because because he, and by the way, this guy's the crew chief here, Bellino, Of course, he, he is. And took took offense to the fact that how dare the legend, right. Madison Bumgarner, right. first ballot Hall of Famer, question ball and strike calls for our umpires who are legitimately mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awful this year. On I don't care. I know. Jeff Passon wrote this great article the other day on ESPN. You got to go check it out about how umpires are actually graded by MLB. They actually have a two inch on either side of the plate buffer zone, if you will, where the MLB deems strikes or balls called their acceptable. But even by that metric, by any metric you want, the umpires are horrific this year. Not to mention the issues with these. They just have
2: attitude like you wouldn't believe. Like it reminds me of the time I got kicked out of a game and the umpire didn't want to do anything except yell. Boom. That's what he yelled. When I got kicked out of the game, he goes, you're out of here. Boom.
0: Oh, that's so lame. Are you kidding me? That's so lame. These guys are such heroes. Like I said earlier, just to close this real quick before we get our friend, Josh Keel, the Mitchell Hawks on. It's embarrassing. We shouldn't know the names of officials. They're the most irrelevant part of sports. Best thing NHL did is take the names off the back. They don't matter. They do not matter. I want to see Madison Bumgarner pitch. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to like this. We are sponsored by CoolBet. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, there's too much betting stuff going on in games now. That's fine if you don't like it. I do, though, and, uh, like, imagine I didn't that day. Otherwise, I would have been even more mad. Imagine laying a props bet on Madison Bumgarner for, like, seven or more strikeouts or something, and he gets tossed in the first. Like, people bet money on this league, yes. and you got this Bolino moron. He should be suspended for at least a few months. That's the I most think his name dope is thing of it. Yeah, well, yeah, he's full of it anyway. Unbelievable. I want to see Madison Bumgarner pitch and I want to see this moron touching guys' fingers, staring into their soul, trying to goad them into something stupid. It's lame. All right, we'll take another quick break. Josh Keel, the Mitchell Hawks, coming up next. <laughs> Welcome back to Instigating with Clarky and Jury, brought to you by Cool Bet Canada, the list will squash courts, list will vision care and see the game. We are and we pleased. have a new
2: one, right? We have a new yes, sponsor, we, Ryan.
0: We do. We do. As we're joined by our friend Josh Keel, the general manager and president of the Mitchell Hawks. We do have a new sponsor, of course. Let's not forget. Hanover Raceway. The season gets started the first weekend of June. Don't miss all the excitement of live harness racing every Saturday from June 4th to September 17th. Post time always at 1.30. Bring the family and come have a great time enjoying the sights and sounds. We bet you'll love it. Visit them at HanoverRaceway.com for details on their upcoming events. So exciting times here at the show. And we're very excited uh, to be joined by a guy who was at the helm of a team that had a very exciting season that unfortunately came to an end this past Tuesday. Mr. Josh Keel, the Mitchell Hawks Keeler. How are you, my friend?
3: I'm doing, uh, doing great. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, was a, it was a tough series loss in Standard. But uh, if you would have told me at the start of the year that we'd be playing hockey into May, then I'd probably tell you, call you a liar. So uh, very fortunate to be where we are and very proud of uh, the group that I managed this year. You know,
0: you should be because I mean, the Mitchell Hawks for the first time ever became Pollock division champs, a hard fought series. Really, you could almost say like a season long series because you guys in the Hanover Barons went knuckle to knuckle from puck drop game one. It was an incredible race to first. They clinched it in the final game against you guys before a couple more games to end the regular season. They got the bye, but then you guys go to the final against them and had just an all-time war. It was unbelievable to watch. Culminated by a Game 7 smackdown in Hanover to the uh, behest of a lot of upset Barons fans that packed the barn that night. An 8 nothing stomp down. It, it was something else. Like, you guys took that title in emphatic fashion let's start there i mean just your impressions of putting this team together after two really weird years for everybody um and then seeing them go out and do that i mean an incredible accomplishment for the mitchell hawks
3: oh it's a phenomenal accomplishment and that was our that was our goal right from the get-go like uh you know i spent two years building this uh building this hockey team as a first year gm and i think having that covid year was a was a blessing for myself to really learn the ins and outs of the league how to recruit how to um how to manage a hockey program um it's not it's not an easy task and and uh i was thrown into the into the wolves and uh and we came out fighting and ended up getting to uh to a game seven in the pollock division championship and And these boys, they, they knew it was at stake. And, uh, um, the, the biggest thing about building this team was the fact that it was all, it was all local kids and like 80% of our rosters from Stratford, um, they're buddies. They hang out together every single night. Uh, a bunch of them live together. Um, the biggest thing is that they, they hold each other accountable. And, uh, and if anybody on the team's down, everybody picks that person back up. They, they fight for each other every single night. And uh, like I when I built this team, I, I knew majority of the players from coaching them in the past, but the what they did this year, like they just elevated their game to a whole different level. We might not have had the most skill in any of our series, but we had the fight and determination to to grind out games and, and win those tight games. Uh, and, uh, it was a full team effort from, from players to coaches, to management, everything, uh, to our executives. Uh, it was, it was just a phenomenal season.
2: You talked about the tight games, you you know, then went on to Stainer and after the first game where you guys had a lot of sick players and, uh, didn't do too well after that, Uh, I was at a couple of the games, and I thought they were very tight-checking games that you guys were in nearly every game. I had a discussion with a guy at work who lives in the Wingham area, let's just say that, who said, oh, I've talked to some hockey guys, and he says Mitchell wasn't in any of the games. Uh, Stainer's too big and too skilled for these guys. I'm like, well, why don't you go to the game and look? Uh, Because I was there, and uh, I thought you guys were in every game except that first one. Is there somewhere that you could pinpoint of where maybe you were lacking in that series against Stainer?
3: I think the biggest thing was uh, Stainer has a lot of skill. Uh, they can move the puck well. They're they're fast. Uh, every single player on their roster had had a had an above average junior C hockey IQ. <clears throat> we had to we had to fight very very hard for every single scoring opportunity that we got. Mm-hmm. And we earned every single goal. We didn't score a whole lot of goals in the series, but every goal that we score was was due to very, very hard work. I think that was the biggest thing is is they they had a lot of skill. But when, the reason why we were in all of the games except for game one was the fact that our boys just they never gave up. They just they always believed they worked hard, they were blocking shots, they were they're clogging the front of the net, they were trying to make Parsi's job as easy as possible. And uh and at the end of the day, we, we pounced on our opportunities and that's how we were able to win games two and three and, and put some pressure on them uh, mm-hmm. um, in the series. Unfortunately, we lost three straight, really basically one goal games with yeah. the empty batters. Right. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was it was a good series and you know, the toughest part about it all is, is even though Stainer had a really good team, their weakest point was their goaltending. And that was the weakest goaltending that we, we seen all playoffs. And mm-hmm. and that just shows how good of a hockey team Stainer was They're well coached. And, and, uh, we just, we had to fight so hard for those opportunities and, and we missed a lot of good opportunities, a few wide open nets Like this series could have changed on a dime, mm-hmm. honestly, like, mm-hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm extremely proud of every single individual on our team and, and how hard they fought. We, obviously the sickness was one thing. It was non COVID sickness, but it just kept going through the, the team and kept lingering and, and Mm -hmm. guys were getting knocked, knocked down. One guy would come back another guy would go down. And then we just had some key injuries too. And the fact that, we pulled up affiliates for basically the first time Lockhart played a few games with us this year, but we had affiliates playing with us full time um, during that series. And, and they stepped up huge. That just shows how good the Mitchell UA team program was, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's they helped out huge. So that would be the pinpoint would, they, they had a very skillful team.
0: They did. They, you know, I'll say this, like Stainer, all the credit to them. They're, they're decor could really skate. Yeah. Like they had they had guys back there that could really get on top of dump ins and motor away and just fire a pass into the neutral zone. They were great that way. But I mean sticking with your team, obviously, you know, Steve Sabron, myself, Scott Bridge, the CKNX junior hockey crew, you know, you guys um, you know, we love covering the league and, and we love covering the Pollock division. And you know, I I don't know. I I've loved covering all the teams that have done well in the division in my time there, but um, I think just with COVID and and losing that hockey coverage for two seasons, and then um, being able to go on this run with you guys and and you guys being so open with us, bringing us along, letting us you know be be part of the journey. Uh, you know, we all really appreciated that. And you know, when when you spend that much time around a team as a broadcaster, you can't help but kind of get involved and, and root for guys. And, um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun with you guys on the bus ride back from Hanover after the, uh, the trophy win. That was, uh, that was an interesting bus ride yeah. and, and the guys were great and, you know, they all came up and we were, we were really thrilled with all of the guys and their families, you know, thanking us and everything. And even in Stainer, when, when the game six loss happened, you know, walking out of the building, Bridgie and myself, just the all the guys, you know, are are crushed. Their season's over, and and they all came up and shook our hands and said thanks, and you guys and the executives and Louie and the whole coaching staff, like, we really appreciated that. It, it was a really special group, and I went into the dressing room and talked to them after the loss, just said a quick little piece, and thanks for letting us be, you know, so close to, to the journey, and I, I was just amazed at, you know, obviously guys were just really – down after losing a game like that but I was just amazed at how like close and supportive everybody was when I walked in there like everybody just saying positive things and you know reliving all the fun moments that they had um like you said, just a really tight knit group. And it really started with your leadership. And I I don't know that I can say enough about all the guys that were hurt and got sick along the way that the battle level of this team, Malcolm McLeod, I mean, this kid, like he had a bum shoulder, pretty much the entire series. He had it going into game seven against Hanover. We didn't even think he was going to play scores a goal, top shelf. He comes back in the Stainer series, like the grind level on that kid, is just incredible.
3: Yeah, he's uh, well. First off, he's a phenomenal human being, and uh, um, he he just cares so much. And uh, he knew he knew the risks of uh, um, what could happen if 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 he played with this injury. And and he's a he's an adult, and he made the decision to. To play in Game Seven, obviously uh, he was very upset in Game Six when his shoulder went out, but uh, um, he battled through, and he he was, I think, he was the reason why uh, um, why we won that Game Seven. Because when he stepped out on the ice, Hanover wasn't expecting him to play either. He steps out on the ice, Hanover sees him and warm up, firing Pox bar down, and uh, it got in their heads right off the bat. And uh I think he was a key contributor to that to that win in game seven. And you know what? We sat on for the first few games of uh Stainer series and and eventually he just he just had to come in. It was and it was a good time for him to come in. You know, we we were tied two two. Um it was pivotal, you know. He wasn't playing at hundred percent, he was still playing at sixty percent, but sixty percent of Malcolm McLeod is is really, really good. So phenomenal human being, phenomenal leader. Um I'm very honored to be able to, uh, to add him to our team and, and uh, uh, to get to know him as an individual. And, and I'm sure that, that our friendship will, will go long after this season. So.
0: Yeah, I would expect so. And just a great leadership group all together. And you had incredible OAs. And I mean, I wish we had time to talk about every single guy on the (laughs) roster, because they're all such special kids and did a lot of special things this year. We got to talk and Clark, he's a goalie guy and he'll have some opinions on him as well. I mean, you talk about Stainer having a bit of a weakness in goal. You guys did not. You had a young man named Tyler Parr in that the best goalie in the league by far. What an incredible kid. Um, Just talk about what he brought to the table for you guys every single night, because pretty much every single minute he was in the crease for you. You just knew that a stop was coming.
3: Yeah, like, uh, leading up to the Stanley series, if we scored more than three goals, we had a 99% chance of winning a hockey game. That's just how consistent he was game in and game out all year. And, uh, like, he let in four goals the first two games of the season. We lost 4-3, four, 4-3, three, four, three, and then went 20 games unbeaten in regulation. And uh, it's just... The kid's just phenomenal. He's uh, the biggest thing is his preparation before every single game. He's razor focused. He cares. He wanted. He wanted to to go out a winner in his final year of junior hockey. He loves junior hockey. Um, and you know what? He brought it every single night. That that game against that eight nothing game against Stanford, That you know what? It is what it is. We didn't come together as a team. Parzi said himself, he's like, "That's the first, the first time all year that I that I uh, was taking junior B caliber shots on net, and we are leaving them out to dry." So, you know what? Boys stepped up in front of them the rest of the way, and uh, and and it is a whole team effort too, right? Like our our def- our defensive mindset as a whole all year from our fours, our defense, everything made Parsi's job fairly easy. Now, he had to come up with some very big saves in every single game. Um, but generally, he was getting a lot of shots on that all year, but they're all from the outside uh, um, in non-dangerous scoring areas. And and if you're shooting from a non-dangerous scoring area on Tyler Parr, you're not scoring. It's as simple as that. He's a phenomenal goalie. Again, phenomenal human being. And proud of him. Very proud of him.
2: Yeah, he looked really good there. Josh, what do you do for an encore now? It's a pretty good first full year there.
3: That's what uh actually uh my wife texted me when uh when after game six in standard, she she texted me and said, uh um you set the bar pretty high in your first year. And mm-hmm. yeah, we set the bar really high as a as a group and uh but we had we had this vision of uh of building this local team. You bring in some bring in some top end talent and, uh, and to kind of mold it together. But the biggest thing is you bring in um, phenomenal human beings that is going to keep the room in a good spot. And uh, like, I've never been a part of a room like this ever. It was, it was unbelievable. And so now, now I have the experience. I know what it takes to, to put together a winning team and, so I've already started uh, planning. I started planning a month ago because the new season starts June 1st. So um, it's going to come up pretty quick. So um, we're already planning. We uh, we have a good foundation. Uh, we just got to start uh, building around that foundation. And, and uh, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Uh, recruiting is never easy. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, winning a championship makes it, definitely will make it easier to recruit. So, yeah, so we're, we're definitely planning on, uh, uh, doing a repeat. We're not a one and done franchise mm-hmm. now. So yeah.
2: Will Louis be back?
3: As far as I know, we haven't had the sit down conversation yet, but, uh, you know what, Louis had a, had a great year. Um, mm-hmm. he, he enjoyed the boys. Uh, I, I can't see him not being there. Um, I know it was, it was, a, a lot of work, uh, it's a little tough on him on the skates at practice and stuff like that. But uh, you know what? I think if if he could come back for one more year, that would be huge. And as far as I know, we'll have the coaching staff back uh, for next year so.
0: Yeah, well, and what a coaching staff it was, of course, Holden Lansing, Ben Nelson, Kenny Jacklin, and of course, Louis Livingston that you yeah. you bring up. And um, that'll be my final one for you, Josh. Just what was it like? I mean, you knew when you went out and you, you got Louis on board that you were getting a really quality coach, but what was it like to be able to bring a guy like that into the room and how critical do you think it was in molding this group that already had plenty of talent, but what? How how key was that in molding them into eventual Pollock Division champions? Because yeah, he you said he enjoyed the boys; they really enjoyed him too. Like yep. they they really went through the wall for Louis. Um, how how big was that?
3: It was huge. And uh, you know what? In order to to run a successful program, you got to put the right people in place that are that are making the decisions. And uh, and I didn't know Louis that well. Um, prior to this, but with everybody you do your research and and the the amount of positive comments that were coming out of people's mouths about him were just insane. It was just everything was positive. And uh obviously Lansing uh was coached by him too in Wingham. And uh and then and then and then you just look at the success that he's had at the junior C level. Like he's got junior B experience, but but he's won three Pollock division championships prior to this one. Right. So he has a lot of experience and, and when I, when I'm putting together this team, I, I, I want them to win a Pollock, at least at minimum, a Pollock division championship. So why not put a guy on the, on the bench, making the decisions that's won three of them prior to this one. So it was a very easy decision. Uh, I would never, think twice about doing it again the guy is just a, he's a gem he's he he's a great players coach um and it's, he he definitely led this team like they he he coached hard for the boys the boys played hard for him and uh i i had no issues all day at, or all year i i let him do his thing never micromanaged never questioned any one of his decisions i obviously made my opinions but at the end of the day respected what they decided and and uh um and that's what you got to do as a manager too with your coach you got to let them let them go so yeah it was unbelievable so
2: mm-hmm.
0: unbelievable guy we loved interacting with him throughout the years he's, <laughs> he's definitely one of our favorites and uh i'll definitely never forget him strapping the skates on and skating <laughs> around with the pollock division trophy when they, uh, when you guys beat Hanover, Josh, congrats on a great year! Can't wait to see what you do for a sequel, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, congrats to you, and uh, you know, if I haven't said it enough, pass it on to the guys. I mean, congrats to everybody. I mean, you guys had a heck of a season, you deserve to celebrate it.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, guys. This is awesome. I appreciate uh, CKNX, uh, obviously, uh, doing the games and stuff like that. It's, it's great for the community, um, and uh you two guys sort three guys are awesome to hang out with too. So, uh, next year when we're on the bus rides, you're more than welcome.
2: I can't uh, wait. <laughs> J- Josh, before we go, yes, yeah. Leafs, Leafs Tampa. How do you see it?
3: Uh, it's a tough one. I, no, I, it's I really want come on. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I, I actually want the series to go, uh, to go at least to game six. Cause I'm down in Florida, uh, next Whoa. week. So, uh, I want I want to guarantee a game six because I'm I'm selfish that way I might might get the opportunity to go to a game but nice uh, I think the I think the Leafs are gonna pull it off uh, for sure um, but uh, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna go seven because Tampa's just got that experience but they don't have the they don't have those that the depth like they had the last few Stanley Cup runs so uh, mm-hmm. on their third and fourth lines and and the Leafs are, are a little deeper so
2: yeah. I love how you said. I think the Leafs are going to win for <laughs> sure. I think they're going to win for yeah. sure. I love that. Yeah. Good
3: optimism. I think for sure. But we need but a game six. That's, okay. yes. That's
2: fine. I said Leafs in five, but
1: okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. Fine.
0: Give, give Josh a game six. He deserves it after a lot of hard work this year. He'd love to take a game in. All right, Keeler. We appreciate this, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem, guys. Have a good night, eh? All right, we uh, we're done this week on Instigating with Clarkie and Drury. Thanks to Josh Keel for joining us. Thanks to Aaron Korolnik from TSN 1050's First Up for joining us earlier in the show. You can watch the show Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 with our friends on Whiteman TV. That's Channel 6 for Whiteman subscribers. We debut on our YouTube channel Friday nights at 9. Follow us on social media at Instigating Pod. For myself, I'm Drury. That's Clarkie We'll be back with more Instigating next week.